Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us today for this episode of Truth for Tough Times. It's entitled, The Power of Priorities. Well, let's get going. Let's jump right into our episode today, and we're going to tell you what we're going to be talking about in The Power of Priorities. What are we talking about? Well, let's see. We've been looking at First and Second Timothy in a series entitled Truth for Tough Times. Well, today, for the episode for Sunday, April 10th, 2022, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Now listen, priorities of behavior and doctrine are what we see taught about in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 16. I would have you know that priorities are powerful for pastors and for their people. Even if you're listening to this episode today and you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have a pastor. I don't go to a church. I don't even believe in God. I'll tell you what, it's still true that there is power when you have the right priorities. So the question is, what are your priorities? Maybe we can help even you today with that. But listen up, listen up, listen up. You can change your life and your destiny with the power of priorities. As I've said before, there is power in an ordered life. The very first lessons of military training, for example, whether it's Navy, Marines, Air Force, well, not so much Air Force, but Army, and so on, the very first lessons of military training is get yourself and your environment in order. And here's why. The military, the premier training institutions in the entire world, they teach this because they know this. When you and I master the priorities, we will be empowered. To put it in a negative way that highlights why the other way works, Have you ever seen someone, maybe you, maybe someone in your home, have you ever seen someone who can't get out of their own way and their life is a train wreck? It's what the kids today might call a hot mess. That's somebody who isn't tapping into the power of priorities. So let's look at that today. A lot of people say that they want to change the world. Well, as has been said, start by making your own bed every morning until you master the basics. No one cares what you say. So if you want to make an impact on your world, your family, your community, your school, your neighborhood, master the basics. Get yourself and your environment in order, and then other people will pay attention to what you think and what you have to say. Now, in this passage today, I want you to notice as we read through this, the predominance of the the idea and the words of exerting effort to do something. 
not just lay back and wait for God to do it or somebody else to do it for you. You're going to see as we read through this, when, when you have the right priorities, you are empowered to exert yourself. All right, so let's go to 1 Timothy 4, and we're going to begin in verse 7. A great place to begin if you're looking at 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 16. I'm sure you'll agree with me on that. Verse 7. So Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Spirit to a young pastor named Timothy. He's already told him a lot in this letter, but now he continues but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So Paul had just finished telling Timothy to stick to the word of God, don't abandon it, and correct others who were teaching things other than the word of God and who were teaching error when they said they were teaching the word of God. Timothy was to deal with all of that and to teach people to know the difference. But here he continues in verse 7 and says, But refuse profane and old wise fables. What is that? Those are silly and ridiculous myths or stories that you might think of some, you know, addled old lady who's lost her mind majoring on. Don't get drawn into that kind of stuff but refuse profane and old wise fables. And here's the key right here. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The word exercise is gymnazo. Does that sound familiar to you? We get the word gymnasium, gym, from that. Wouldn't it be great if people lined up to exercise themselves unto godliness, like they line up to go into these big, uh, glittering, expensive health and exercise facilities. Have you ever seen that in January? They, you can't get in, you can't find a parking place. But about April, if you go back, there's plenty of room because everybody's quit, right? But Timothy is told here in that same way to exercise himself unto something. To what? To godliness. To all the things that make for being like God. Now we're talking about not talking about being a God, but we're talking about being someone that reminds people in a very positive way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Verse 8, for bodily exercise, that's literally what it means, you're exercising, working out with your body, for bodily exercise profiteth little. Some people read this and they say, well, you shouldn't be going to the gym because um, it doesn't do you any good. That's not what this says. It does benefit somebody to some degree. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness, that is when you exercise yourself to be the right kind of Christian and follower of God, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. So in other words, there's a benefit for the life you're living now on earth and of that which is to come, that is in eternity. You will be rewarded. Now, I don't know a lot about this, but the little bit that I do know from the Bible is, is exciting to me because 
you know, people say, well, you know, I just want to be saved and slide into heaven, and I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I'm sure you will. But I'm going to give you an example. This is the greatest example I've ever heard about this. It came from one of my uh, previous pastors when I was growing up. Now, think about it like this. We both love music, but I take a music appreciation course, which I, in fact, did in college. And I heard stuff that I'd never heard before. And I learned all about symphonic music and opera and all of these kind of things. Exciting stuff, Pastor Ed. I know, hang with me here. But the point is, once I took that music appreciation course, or let's say that I watch a uh, Rick Beato video on YouTube, and I saw one yesterday, I didn't have time to look at it, but it was like, learn music theory in one hour. I thought, I'm in, <laughs> but I didn't have time. So, but, I, but I'm sure if I had of it, it would have been great, and I would have learned more. But I'll tell you what, if I exercise myself by going to the music appreciation course, or watching the Rick Beato uh, learn music theory in one hour, he lied, actually. It was about one hour and seven minutes, I think. But anyway... <laughs> I digress. But think about it like that. Who's going to appreciate music more, me or you? I will, because I've exercised myself. I know more about it than somebody who has not tried to improve their knowledge and appreciation of music. Does that make sense to you? Well, even if it doesn't, it's still true. Listen, <laughs> For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The person who loves the Lord deeply and serves the Lord intently in this life, I've got it on good authority from the Word of God. They're going to have a deeper appreciation for heaven than the person who got saved yesterday, was hit by a train today, and they're in heaven uh, you know, today or tomorrow. All right. You know, you see what I mean? Because, yeah, they're both, they both end up in heaven. They're both saved. Amen. But one person has grown so much and the other one got saved, but didn't grow at all. And it wasn't their fault. They got hit by the train, right? <laughs> but a lot of people live a long time and never make very much effort. And how could they possibly understand something they were never that interested in on this earth? Think about that. Verse 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now, I had to work through this verse here looking at the Greek. It's possible this could be saying, this is a faithful saying, or, or rather, um, I'm sorry. In the Greek, it could be saying um, the, the, the word of God is trustworthy and worthy of all acceptation. It could be saying that, but I think because of the context it's in, I think it's saying that about either what has just been said or what is about to be said. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Verse 10, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. That is people, Paul was saying, about himself and Timothy and anybody who serves the Lord Jesus Christ, even today, that when we do that, we work, we labor, that is, we work to the point of actual physical exhaustion. For therefore, we both labor, 
and suffer reproach. That is, people persecute us, perhaps even hit us or harm us or uh, insult us verbally, let's say, or make laws against us. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach. Have you ever wondered, why would I do that? You know, recently I've been rethinking through the whole thing of, okay, I'm no longer lost, I'm saved. Because I'm saved, I belong to the Lord. Because I belong to the Lord and I know his word and I'm trying to live daily for him, I remind people of him at at least a little bit, hopefully. And the people who want to know him too, they like that and they come to the Lord. But the people who hate him hate me, right? And if you're doing the same thing, you know what I'm talking about. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach. Why am I doing this again? Why am I going through all of this again? Why am I sitting here on a Sunday afternoon on a beautiful day in the Mid-South? I mean, it is beautiful outside. And we have had lousy weather before this this week. Why am I in this so-called studio doing this for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because so here's the reason because we trust in the living god who is the savior of all men he's talking about jesus christ All right, let's read it again. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Amen. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He was not crucified. You know, as I record this, this is Palm Sunday, the beginning of what is called the Passion Week leading to the, the uh, betrayal and the trials and the crucifixion, the death, the actual real death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ and his actual real resurrection, conquering death on the third day, amen, on Resurrection Celebration Day. Some people call it Easter. I call it Resurrection Celebration Day. That's why we go through this, because Jesus beat death. Boom. I'll go through anything to love and be loved by and serve and serve with the one who died for me and beat death, and I'm beating it too. Amen. Think about that. Verse 11, these things command and teach. Now, by the way, as we think about people working out, you know, at gyms, (laughs) I'm walking proof that the Bible is true. Why do you say that, Pastor Ed? Well, I used to work out also. I could ride a 10-speed bicycle straight up a hill. I could jump rope, not quite as good as Muhammad Ali, but pretty good for a white boy. 
And I could uh, lift weight. I got to the point that I could lift all the weight that I actually owned, you know, in my little uh, shed there. And I worked out and I could run. I hate running, man. But um, I, w- I was never like, um, you know, go win a bodybuilding championship kind of workout strong. But I was I was okay. I used to work out. But uh, when you see me now, you know the Bible's true. <laughs> Why did I say that? Well, bodily exercise profited little. I mean, it is okay. It does something, but man, does it wear off. And I'm walking proof that the Bible is true. It just doesn't last. But when you exert yourself in spiritual things for Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, that helps you here and for all of eternity. You will be rewarded. Listen, I think, I want you to listen carefully here. I've kind of been cutting up just a little bit because I like to have a good time too. But I, I want you to get really serious here with me a minute. We are at a gut check moment in world history. And if you know what's going on, great reset, whole nine yards, then you're shaking your head. Yes, I get it. If you don't, you are about to be gobsmacked in a way that I can't even explain to you today. Because you, I don't know what you've been doing, but you have not been paying attention. But the world is coming up on a gut check moment. And the world is getting a checkup from the neck up, as they say. Now, here's what I want to plug in right here. And you can apply it to yourself too, but most of you listening are are not pastors. I can understand that. If your pastor spends three times as many hours a week on the golf course as he does in the Word, you know, studying during the week, you're doomed. Find a new one. Find a new pastor, find a new church that cares, okay? Verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. So that means, uh, in, in, in word means literally how he speaks. In conversation, the idea of how he conducts his life. In charity, that is that agape, that Christian type of love, that sacrificial love that we learn from Christ. In spirit, in faith, in purity. So let's read it again. Let no man despise thy youth. Well, how was young was Pastor Timothy, Pastor Ed? Was he like 22 or what? Well, in those times, somebody was considered a youth even when they were 40. So he could have been you know, 35, 40, 45 years old, but to the old timers around him, they kind of patronized him. And Paul probably was aware of this. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. That word example means a model, a typos, a type. But be thou an example of the believers. That is, believers can look at Timothy, they can look at your pastor, hopefully they can look at you 
and say, you know, that person conducts themselves and and how they talk and the way they live and how they love people like God loves people and they, they conduct themselves in spirit and in faith and in purity the right way and they are inspirational to me. They are role models for me. Listen, pastors are to be supermodels for the saints. <laughs> they are to be somebody that their, their uh, congregation can look up to, not be embarrassed about. And you need to be that type of person yourself in your family, where in your office where you work, in your classes, on the sports teams. That's a good thing to copy right there. Verse 13. Now again, we're talking about the power of priorities. What are the things that are important? Well, we're hearing a whole list of them right here. Verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, what is he talking about? That every night before he turns out the light, oh, Tim should read, uh, I don't know, another chapter of a Zane Gray novel? That's not what he's talking about. Till I come, give attendance to reading. Reading what? Reading publicly the Bible, the Word of God. Till I come, give attendance, that is, pay attention to, Really, really drill down on this till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, that is like preaching and encouraging people, to doctrine, that's teaching the Word of God. Listen, people who can't read the Word of God say, well, why can't they? Well, maybe they can't read, literally. There are there probably are millions and millions of people in the world, if you handed them a Bible, they cannot read at all. So there are many people who can't read the Bible or they live in a place where if they had a Bible, it would be destroyed. They don't have one or maybe they've never had one or they don't have one in their language People who can't read the Bible or won't read the Word, and that's so much like Western Christians that this kills me, who uh, for some bizarre, I think superstitious reason, I see the Bible kept in the backs of cars, like upon that back panel above the back seat, under the back windshield. I'll see a Bible or two back there, and I think people put it there because they think, you know, it's going to like ward off evil while they're driving or something. I don't think they're reading it. And what a, what a disrespectful way to handle the very physical Word of God. But people aren't reading the Word. I bet if, you know, you're listening to today, I bet if you went through where you live, you could probably come up with a number like, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Bibles in the home where you live, the apartment where you live. Now, that won't be true for everybody, but for people in a family, you can think of all of that. But how, how often do you ever see people reading the Word? Listen, people who can't or won't read the Word, listen, they must have it read to them in worship or they will never hear it or read it at all. 
Till I come, give attendance, pay attention to, drill down on this, give attendance to reading, talking about the word, publicly, to exhortation. It's like, this is what it says, to doctrine, teaching what it says, so that people can hear it. Pastors are to be addicted, addicted, addicted to totally being preoccupied with the word and the ministry or the serving up of the word to the people of God. And yet how many other ridiculous things are pastors forced to get off track with or or they derail themselves going over into areas. You know, God didn't ask pastors to run soup kitchens. That's something the deacons can do. But God didn't ask the deacons to study the word and preach the word. Pastors need to do what they're called to do, and you need to make sure your pastor does and that he can do that. But till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. You know, over the last couple of years, just about two years, I have uh, have not read the Word as much, and I've read the Bible through way over 40 times. So, so don't please don't lecture me about, you're not reading the Word. Well, I've already been doing that. But I've started listening to it, and man, oh man, oh man, over and over through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy as I'm teaching through this, just about every day. Talk about beginning to get a grip on the message of First and Second Timothy. And you know what? You can do that too. If your pastor won't read the word in worship, then you you have it. You read it yourself, or you have someone read it to you. Okay, verse fourteen. Again, we're talking about the power of priorities. Here, are more priorities. Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So there were a group of elders, an elder body, somewhere along the way in Derby or Lystra, where I think uh, those are the towns, the twin cities that Timothy grew up in, who, uh, you know, they stood with him as being called by God to serve with Paul the missionary and even to be a pastor. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He had been endorsed by other men of God as being a man of God. Pastors are gifted by God for a reason, and pastors should pursue it, not be drawn off to other things. Verse 15, Meditate upon these things. This means to continually practice these things. Meditate upon these things. It doesn't mean he's supposed to like really think deeply about these things. It means what is he to do? He's to do the things he's been being told about all the way through this episode today. Continually practice these things. What? Like reading the word, like exhortation, like Doctrine, teaching from the word. Meditate upon these things. Watch this. 
Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You know what the phrase give thyself wholly to them means? He is to immerse himself in these things, like not just up to his eyeballs, but over his head into being involved in the things we've been hearing about so that the benefit that he has it becomes evident to others and they follow that same example. Continually practice these things. Immerse himself in these things. Listen, how a pastor uses his time is huge. And I want to tell you what I'm about to say. I'm going to tell you, I was a pastor for just about 30 years and I was around preachers for about 30 or 40 years. And I'm telling you, there's more than a few pastors who are dialing it in. They're phoning it in. There's more than a few pastors. I'm not saying most, but I'm saying there's way too many that are playing hooky when they're supposed to be in school studying the Word. They're out doing other things. They're, in other words, they're doing everything but what they're supposed to be doing according to the Word of God. And then when they get up on Sundays to bring a message that the, the flock needs, a flock needs to be fed and nourished and strengthened, some of these pastors are given book reviews, opinionettes, sermonettes for Christianettes. Like, I heard of one church where the pastor was informed, I think it was a visiting pastor was informed that uh, he was only preached about to preach 15 minutes or less because that's all the people would take. <laughs> and uh, church growth research and stuff talks about, you know, if you want to attract a bunch of people to your lame, sick church, be sure your messages deal with things like, you know, how to have a happy marriage and, you know, make an idol of that all the time and, you know, how to how to be successful and, you know, to really feel good in life and all of that and never speak more than 15 minutes. Gag me with a spoon. Some pastors are sock puppets of the God-hating, radical, woke, globalist left. I just said it. And some of you who are suffering under those people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Before the pandemic, everything seemed right at your church and with your church leadership after the pandemic when you finally came back, like two and a half years later to church. Hey, that's wrong on the face of it. But anyway, when you finally came back to church, you said, who hijacked my church? What happened? It was one church when I left and it's a different one when I came back. And more than a few people have had that reaction. Listen, if you've got a pastor or pastorette like that, you don't actually have a man of God. Find a pastor who is in the word. But, 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 my family's always been in this church. Find a real pastor. Stand up. Or suffer the consequences. And you will, by the way, give account to God for how you used your church life.
You can bank on what I just said. Verse 16, and we're done. Take heed unto thyself. He means to pay attention. Timothy, pay attention to yourself. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. That is the teaching of the word. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now I have no doubt that by this point, obviously, Timothy was already a Christian. He was saved. There was no doubt about that. But he would be rescuing himself from a lot of problems by being in the Word and teaching the Word, right? But truthfully, for all of those who heard him and followed him that weren't Christians, because he would be doing the right thing, they would hear the Word and be saved. And those that were already saved, by following the word, he would be also rescuing them from a lot of trouble. So he's told here, take heed unto thyself and under the doctrine, continue in them. That has the idea of stay long in them. Yes, it means to really be about this and major on this. So there we kind of have it in verse 16, the same idea that if you want to change the world, start by making your bed first every morning. And then when people respect you, then they'll listen to what you think and say, right? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, stay long in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thanks for listening today. We've seen the power of priorities and it's way more truth than some are living up to for sure. Maybe you're here today and you have questions about the Christian life or even about how to become a Christian. Write this number down, 877-247-2426, 877-247-2426. I want you to know today that with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know for certain how your eternity will turn out. Instead of following Satan and being condemned to an eternal hell, you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with him. Here's some news you need to know about. The bad news first, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you, that means me, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's more bad news followed by the good news. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Oh, man. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Romans 10 tells us some great things here, starting in verse 9 and then through 13. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whoso 
whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for listening today. I hope this has been an encouragement, perhaps even an inspiration to you as you walk with Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian, that you want more than life itself to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you like what you heard in this episode, like the episode and follow the podcast. Share it with somebody today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with This Week in the Word.